God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it makes sense that if you're the devil, that you would want to cause people to doubt God's word. From the very beginning, Satan's strategy has been to cause people to doubt. When he said in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say? He's really tried nothing different from then on. He causes people to doubt his word. That's the the theme of today's letter in in Revelation chapter 2, the letter to the church in Thyatira. This is Pastor Greg. This is Life 66. Good to be with you again. There's been a a bit of a layoff on these podcasts in our study in Revelation, uh, but we're back in action now and picking up where we left off. We finished the first three churches in chapter 2, and we finish up with uh, the church in Thyatira. The churches, uh, the seven churches listed here in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are actually in two groups. There's the first three and the last four. And you'll see some unique uh, um, elements about the last four that are different than the first three. But let's look at the church at Thyatira. Uh, 40 miles southeast of Pergamos, uh, so pretty close to the last church that we studied. Um, it's, it's the modern-day city of Akashar, which is in western Turkey, founded as a military outpost. And it's the most insignificant city of the seven that we read about in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Uh, but it was still on the trade routes, and many passed through, bringing many religious uh, ideas and thoughts through the city. And you could see why there could be confusion amongst the church as different ideas, different thoughts, different philosophies came through, and people could get easily confused um, as they tried to mingle these different thoughts with the thoughts of God's Word. Thyatira is not a stranger to the rest of Scripture. We find in Acts chapter 16 that Lydia, this great character there, uh, the seller of purple, uh, she was a woman from Thyatira. And this area was known for its cloths and its, uh, and its dyes. Thyatira uh, is an extension of, of the church getting married to the world. The last four of these letters, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, they all start, or they all have a component in them that's unique to, the, uh, to them alone, that the first three don't have, and that is that they mention the coming of Christ. This leads us to believe that the last four uh, letters start sequentially. In other words, in the history of the church, Thyatira uh, comes before the era of Sardis, which comes before the era of Philadelphia, which comes before the last church of Laodicea. But all four of them, though starting sequentially, they all endure till the end when Christ returns. Now, of course, that is, uh, that is a, an interesting thought, and we'll see as time plays out if that's actually accurate. But we have understood that these seven churches laid out in chronological order spell out a very accurate view of the history of the church. Remember that Ephesus was the working church that lost its first love. And look at the progression. Smyrna then became the persecuted church. Pergamum, or Pergamus, the church of spiritual compromise, And now in Thyatira, it's not just compromise, it's spiritual adultery that's tolerated. So let's let's read this letter, and let's uh, then look at some of its interesting uh, characteristics. Let me read it for you first. Verse 18 of Revelation chapter 2 through the end of the chapter. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds 
your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He, who will, he will rule over them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice right away that that phrase, he who hath an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, that this is now the closing phrase. Up to this point, that, that phrase is spoken, and then there's the promise that comes after that phrase. Now, in the last four letters, that statement, he who has an ear, let him hear, comes at the very end. And it's as if the author, of course, it's Jesus, it's God, is saying, listen up. I want you to make sure you're hearing this. These are warnings, these are commendations, but this is crucial stuff. Make sure you listen. There's nothing here by accident. The Spirit is always detailed. As I said before, the last four letters have a reference to Jesus' second coming. Here in chapter 225, in the church of Sardis, chapter 3, verse 3, in the church of Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 11, and the church of Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 20. The letters speak of the church at John's time, but they also speak to the church today, and they also speak to the individual today. So as we're going through this, um, don't view it as just a history lesson, but look at yourself as God speaks to us directly from his word. So let's start with verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Remember the description in chapter 1 when we see the eyes of fire and, and the feet of bronze. This is the first and only time in the revelation that the word, a phrase, son of God, is mentioned. The implication is awesome, that the son of God sees all with his eyes like fire, and he treads all, his feet being the feet of judgment. His eyes, they search everything. They see everything. Nothing's hidden from his sight. Nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you will ever do is in secret. For Jesus sees, sees it all. His eyes search. In verse 23, it says, I search the minds and hearts, and I will repay each according to his deeds. He sees everything. And the, that judgment, chapter 19, verse 15, we'll get there in a, in a few podcasts, says that he treads the winepress of God's wrath. That Jesus is the one who died. He is also the one who will stand in judgment of us uh, because we've rejected his work on the cross. The church needs to know that the God who loves them is also the God who is holy. See, no gospel is complete without the wrath of God. The understanding 
of the wrath of God is the reason for the cross. If there's no wrath or punishment for sin, then the cross is unnecessary for it was God's wrath that was placed on Jesus and not on us. Thus, taking our sin, being the substitutionary uh, recipient of wrath for our sin, setting us free by grace. The cross was God's removal of wrath from us and placed on Jesus. So we cannot uh, see a gospel that's just all loving, all gracious, all kindness. No, wrath is a big part of it. And understanding wrath and judgment is a reason for our motivation and thankfulness, our praise and our love. I thank God that his wrath is not on me. And I praise God and love God that he took his wrath from me. And I praise Jesus' name for he is the one that had the wrath placed on him. It's one of our main evangelistic tools as well, that we all want to talk about God's love and God's kindness. And it's true. We must speak of God's love and kindness. But is God's love and kindness really a motivator when we don't see the reason for why we're saved? When we don't see the condition that we are in, the lost condition, the dreadful, uh, horrible state of our judgment that's coming in our sin, we have to know what, how we're broken before we'll even want to be fixed. We have to know how sick we are before we'll even recognize that we need a cure. Jesus is the examiner, and he's going to examine every heart, and he's going to judge rightly. It's up to us to turn to him and embrace him and thank him. The evidence of spiritual life in verse 19, it says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did. It's interesting that there are these commendations for the church of Thyatira. They weren't all bad, that they had some really good things going for them. It says, I know your work. What is that work? I know that, you're, that you have love. They're commended for that. Remember, Ephesus lost its first love. In light of all the crazy bad things going on, the motive of their heart is right. They're striving to walk right. It says, I know of your faith, that they're striving to live by faith each day. It says, I know of your service, your voluntary work to help and to support, to, to give to each other and to serve each other. Your perseverance. He says, I see that you're under a heavy load, but yet you're remaining strong and persevering. It says, and your growth. You're doing more now than you did before. So there's some good things happening in this church. However, there's also some really scary things and some moral decay that's going on. In verse 20, it says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and by the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Because they're signs of growth and life doesn't mean that they're perfect and doesn't mean that they're not on shaky ground. The big issue in Thyatira is false teaching. And remember, it's been progressively growing from Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamum to tolerating things. Now in Thyatira to accepting false teaching, that the false teaching has found itself inside the church. Thus, remembering what I said at the outset of this podcast, the doubting of God's word, the, the dilution of God's word, the manipulation of God's word. If you're listening to this right now, there's one thing you have to know and never let go of. Do not compromise God's word. 
It doesn't matter what some biased scientist says. It doesn't matter what some celebrity says or some entertainer or some politician. They're wrong. They're false. They're liars. They're deceivers. God's word is true, and we cannot tolerate anything that would draw question to God's word or that would cause us to believe something other than God's word. That word tolerate means you allow in your midst without resistance. In other words, you basically make friends with lies, and you begin to question God's word. This lady of Thyatira that, that uh, is called Jezebel, it, it appears that she may be a real woman in that time. There's also the reference back to 1 Kings uh, and 2 Kings, this woman Jezebel, that, that led the nation with a rebellious spirit and introduced the people into all kinds of sinful behaviors and idol worship and all kinds of horrible things. And this idol worship in in Thyatira leads the people into sexual perversion. It must be noted that the last stage of perversion before God's final judgment is sexual sin. In the days of Noah, sexual sin. The days of Sodom and Gomorrah, sexual sin. Even in our history, in the days of the Romans, sexual sin. And look to the condition of today. It's unbelievable the amount of sexual perversity the deviancy in sexuality today. People uh, unsatisfied with their birth gender and, and are confused and deceived and, and, and just broken. And they don't even know who they are anymore. Unsure of their, of their God-given beautiful sexuality. The deviancy in, in homosexuality and transsexuality in the, in the gender confusion. And, and on and on and on it goes. You've seen it. I've seen it. Sexual sin is, is the ultimate in perversion. Romans chapter 1 speaks about those who have darkened minds and futile hearts, that the next level then is sexual perversion, and they will suffer the punishment of God's wrath if they don't repent. People no doubt followed this woman because she was a religious leader. It says she was a prophetess, that she had this, this sense of speaking God's word or the sense of spiritual authority Yet, she didn't bring godliness into the church. She brought lies. We must watch in the church today for anything that would cause compromise. It saddens me. It breaks my heart today when I see churches who will accept homosexuality as, as okay and that you can be a practicing homosexual and a Christian at the same time. It's false. It's a lie. Don't believe it. It's a decay, and it will bring ruin to the church. Ephesus did not tolerate anyone to teach unsound doctrine. And now just a couple of churches later, now there's the acceptance of unsound doctrine. What does this lady do? She calls herself a prophetess. She misleads the people into sexual immorality. She misleads the people into idolatry. She's unrepentant, but she's going to suffer. And those who follow her will suffer. Those who follow her will be stricken dead. And those who hold her teachings have learned the so-called secrets of Satan. Anything that opposes God's word is satanic, and it must be disregarded. Don't ever forget that. How many people will go astray because, of, because someone told them of some new revelation or some new you know, uh, theology that is contrary to God's word? People are being led astray all the time. Hold fast, person. Hold fast to God's word. Verse 21 to 23 says, 
but I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her and suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. It's so awesome. The Lord is patient. He says, I'm calling. I'm giving her time to repent. However, she was unwilling. She wouldn't repent. So in the metaphor, he says, she's a, 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 a harlot leading people into sexual immorality. So basically it says, you made your bed, you're going to sleep in it. He's going to cast her on a bed of suffering. And those who follow her will also experience that same kind of, of, of deadly suffering. That's the wrath of God. You've allowed someone else to occupy your temple or to occupy your heart. He says, okay, then you're going to suffer the wrath. How does God execute his judgment? This bed of suffering he speaks about. Those who follow her will also suffer intensely. The children, the children are not little children. It means those who believe her teaching, like her disciples or her spiritual offspring. So those who follow her will also be judged. and The judgment will be on the church those that follow her ways. But, says to the rest of you, verse 24 to 25, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. This is the first reference to Jesus's return. Hold on. No matter what the world says, no matter what uh, uh, popular culture says, no matter how much culture says that your belief in God is old-fashioned, no matter what people say with their smugness and their degrees and their, their arrogant wisdom that it's actually foolishness, no matter what they say, hold fast. Hold on to the truth. Be faithful. Don't give in to the world. When you don't, you'll find rest. You'll find peace with God. You'll find yourself rescued from God's wrath. Even though it may infiltrate the church, I want to counsel this. If any church preaches or teaches anything that's contrary to God's word, get out of that church. Leave that church. If any pastor teaches anything opposing God's word, he's a liar and he's a deceiver, or she's a liar or she's a deceiver, leave that church. Find someone who's uncompromising in the word of God. The encouragement to the, to the uh, overcomer, finally, verse 26 to 29 to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Oh, it's powerful. It's powerful to know that there is an overcoming power that will endure to the end. And I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those who reigns with Jesus. In Revelation chapter 20, we're going to see how he rules with an iron scepter. And those of us that have remained faithful to him will rule with him. Now, we're not in this to rule. We're in this because we've been saved by grace. But God's rewards are good. And God's rewards are right and true. Immediately following this promise to return is this mention of the millennial kingdom. And those who overcome are going to reign with him. There's a promise that we can hold on to, a promise to be with him forever, and this promise that Jesus, the morning star, 
that his kingdom is coming. And you know, as I think through what's going on in culture today, the, 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 just the out-and-out out deception in our world today, the deception in the media, the deception with power-grabbing, the deception with the desire to, to steal freedoms, the deception of, of coming against God's word and God's truth, and the turning of people's minds away from the things of God. I can't think that his return is too far away. The warning to us today is to hold fast. The same warning that he gave to the church of Thyatira, in the midst of perversion, in the midst of lies, even within the church, in the midst of deception that would lead to uh, behavior that is wrathworthy, hold fast to the truth. You may be accused of being old-fashioned. You may be accused of being radical, and you may be accused of being some kind of religious nut. You may be uh, even rejected and, and persecuted. Remember, Jesus said, they're not persecuting you. They're persecuting him. And I want to be like the people in the book of Acts who once they were persecuted and whipped and beaten, said they went away rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for the name. I pray that we are each worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus because we stand for what's true. Hold fast. Hold fast. Let's do it together. Word of God, His Life 66, will keep us till the end, till Jesus comes. Let's hold fast together. God bless you till next time. This is Pastor Greg, Life 66. Let's hold on. <laughs>